there's so much strain on the relationships within the family dynamics, right? And the frequencies of that are really not good. Earlier, when you were talking about addiction, the family takes on this role of don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. We need to really pay attention to that because it's not just the addict that takes that on. It's the family members. Nobody's talking about what's really going on. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life explores the stories of real people who've navigated their way out of life's toughest situations, emerging with greater strength and resilience. If these stories remind you of your own journey and you or someone you know need help, our collective journey is here for you. Whenever you're ready to take that next step, reach out to us at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Welcome back to another episode of From Darkness to Life. I'm Ryan, your host this season, and uh, we're coming at you from the Plugged In Media Network studio, as usual. I want to thank Dave for all the magic behind the scenes uh, and for the just the cool conversation that Dave provides before I hit the play button every week or the record button. So yeah, thanks, Dave. You're a big part of this, even though uh, you don't get much recognition out in the public. And I know you you kind of like it that way. But with that, you know what? I want to remind everybody they can find us on Instagram at our Instagram page, obviously. Ryan, pull your head out of your ass. Instagram page on Instagram. That makes a lot of sense. At FDTL podcast. It's not new anymore. It's been around for a couple months now. So please hit that like button and share some of those posts. Cause it's like we always say here, you never know who's going to need to hear these episodes or these messages of hope or resources that are available out there. And I know firsthand as well as our guest does that a lot of people out there are suffering with obstacles in life, whether it's addiction or whatever it is, but, uh, a lot of times we are going through life thinking we're doing it alone or nobody's going to understand or nobody's going to get it. And the stigma around all that stuff, right? We have this closed door policy that we, that we uh, don't share our problems and we try to figure this stuff out on our own. And I know a lot of people who are on the wrong side of uh, the outcome scale, negative outcomes for a lot of people because of that mindset. So that's why we do this podcast, right? We, we share these stories of hope and resilience and recovery and just to, to resonate with people out there. Hopefully somebody hears something that they like and uh, it, it opens the door for them to reach out and find that support that they need. Cause I know I stayed out there a long time struggling without support, thinking those same negative thoughts and uh, it was huge. So yeah, reach out, whether it's us, whether it's, it's somebody in your communities, Find your safe, stable, trusted people in your circle and, and reach out because a lot of times we make it out to be um, a lot worse than it really is. So yeah, reach out for help. It's, it's not that difficult to do, even though in the moment I found it impossible. Um, yeah, let's move on. That's enough of me talking. Let's introduce our guest. I'm super stoked this week to have one of my friends, colleagues, uh, somebody else who works in the addiction space here locally in our community um, on the show today. Uh, she has been a valuable a valuable part of uh, my journey since living here in this city. I think we I think we met like a year after I uh, moved here. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to introduce Nicole. She's going to uh, grace us with her wisdom this week. <laughs> Don't laugh. 
<laughs> yeah, wisdom. You, you bring a lot of wisdom to this show. Absolutely, you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nicole and I met, oh my gosh, would have been like 2016, maybe 2017. Yeah, about that. In a gym class. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, in combat. Oh my gosh. Our favorite. Right? Well, I, yeah, it was, that seems like so long ago. It was. Oh my God. The world went upside down during that time and back around and here we are. And here we are. We made it through. (laughs) We totally did. I'm so excited to be here. I'm actually really honored to be here. You know, I've seen you grow and just become this solid individual that really speaks your truth and is out there just doing a service that it, it melts my heart. So this this topic of um, addiction really, you know, speaks to me, you know, just thinking of my past, I, I'm just thinking, you know, I came into this field probably a little different than a lot of people, you know, people just don't want to become addictions counselors because... They've never been affected by some form of addiction. For and sure. And it's not for money. It, you don't well, get rich doing it. And it, it's not for good times because uh, the times I spend um, with my people are usually pretty heavy and draining. But mm-hmm. I, I just, I love that space of being, I feel so honored being in a space where people are like really vulnerable and open and willing and you know, I hate to say this, but like broken because, you know, we've all been there. We've all been in that space of feeling super broken and not knowing where to go or what to do. And I came into this um, because my partner um, that I was with many years ago um, struggled with crack cocaine Mm -hmm. um, addiction. And um, it, it was so difficult to deal with all the time. And uh, I myself became sick because that's what family members do is family members become sick yeah. on this journey with their people. And uh, it's not that they mean to, it's just, you don't know what, you don't know your options. Yeah. You don't know what's out there. You don't know how to help these people. You think loving them to death is like the best thing for them. And it's just like the absolute worst. And then yeah. you think getting mad at them and freaking out on them is the best thing for them, but it just makes you insane. So. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so when I came into this, I came into it um, being impacted because of somebody else's use and holy cow like you know when you talk about like the insanity of the addiction Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i can really relate to that because i was addicted to this person right as all my obsessive thoughts were was what was he doing where was he going who was he talking to what am i coming home to and uh yeah so i came in at a a little bit of a different angle than a lot of people. But the one thing I'm learning, you know, is that this isn't just a single person's problem. Mm. This is a family unit problem. And that's kind of, you know, why I ventured off and and now have started what I have started here in the community. I'm really excited about it because I think family members are feeling lost on this journey. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I know firsthand, you and I have talked about this many times over the last few years, but you know, based on the feedback we get or the individuals reaching out to us, you know, they might be the ones that are supporting a loved one. And we hear exactly what you just said, right? A lot of people don't know what to do, you know, and whether that's through the misconception of what addiction is or just lack of education around it or experience, we send our loved one off to treatment and they should get fixed. 
<laughs> and then they're going to come back and we're going to carry on with a normal life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just unfortunately not how things work in the real world when you're dealing with this issue. Oh, you know, I love that you said this issue because, you know, in the past years, and I wanted to bring this up too, because in the past years, we've really been looking at addiction as a disease. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, more so recently, just sitting here going, this is more than a disease. Mm-hmm. This is this is so complex, and there are so many layers to this problem that it is it 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 surpasses a disease. Yeah, absolutely. And and I hear that all the time, right? It's you know if if your loved one had cancer and you, there's medication and treatment for that, all these things, right? But when you mix in addiction, and you're talking specifically about this, it is so much more complex than just going to get some support and some treatment, right? It, it impacts the entire family circle, the, the outer circles. It's, I remember reading a st- statistic one time and I can't remember who, which doctor came from or which survey, but it was 16 people are usually impacted by one person's addiction, if not more, but 16 oh, yeah. individuals at least. Right. And oh, yeah. when I was in active addiction, I thought I was just hurting myself. It's my money. It's my life. I can do what I want. And I look mm-hmm. back now and I can, I'd have to take my shoes off to count how many people I impacted with my addiction. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't know if you ever um, watched when you say that it's the Barb Tarbox video. Now no. that's really old. Like I'm going back like early two thousands when like she came out and VHS days, <laughs> eight act days. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she, um, she talked about, well, she was dying of cancer from smoking and yeah. she's like, every time I smoked, oh. I just thought it was just, I was just impacting myself. Yeah. And she's like, and now I've got these young kids that are mm-hmm. going to grow up without a mom. Yeah, I they- do. Now that you put some information around, I do remember Barb and that video. Yeah, she yeah. she documented basically her whole, like since the time she was um, diagnosed with cancer till the time she ended up passing away. And then she just really, her, her reflection was just really like, now all these people that I love mm-hmm. need to go on and they need to heal. I get to end this. Yeah. The wow. suffering's over, but my family continues, right? Yeah, that's so impactful. And um, it's so true, right? And I know working with so many individuals that are in the, in the throes of addiction, you know, they want to make change. They want to do these things, but a lot of it is around that. Uh, it's just me. I'm impacting me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, you know, let's have a step back. I know it's hard to do. Remove yourself from this moment. Let's step back and look at whether it's on paper, what have we got to do here? But let's look at all the people this is impacting. And a lot of, you know, I've had those light bulb moments with people. They're like, holy shit, I didn't even look at it like that. Mm-hmm. Like so many people are affected by our addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, family members, you know, when I talk about the complexity of, of addiction, mm-hmm. you know, us as professionals in the community, we can't even get it right. No. <laughs> so true. <laughs> like, let's be really honest. 100%. If we got it right, we wouldn't have these jobs, yep. right? And so it's like, if we could get it right, you know, that would be great. But how are the families supposed to get it right? Yeah. 
and and how are the families being impacted and you know that's the biggest piece is like families are getting impacted in all kinds of ways so maybe the family isn't using substances to deal you know with whatever situation they're facing but or maybe they are yeah you know or something in lieu of substance they're using behaviors or well, you know, gambling or something, right? Totally. There's there's usually always a something that's going on that I can tell you isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, and, and, and it's like, so what do they do? Where do they go for support? How do they get help? How do they know what to do next when they're dealing with somebody who yeah. is in active <laughs> addiction, I'm going to say, because addiction <laughs> is many things. It's not just a substance. For sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know. That's what I'm so excited about what you're doing now in the community, what you're what you're starting to do um, and how it includes the entire family, because a lot of the feedback we get from people, um, you know, we host a, a biweekly meeting on Thursday nights. And, and I'd say probably 90 percent of the people that attend that meeting are family members mm-hmm. looking for information, looking for education, looking for support, looking for other people that are going through similar things. Right. And uh so that's what's so exciting about what you're starting to do is here's a new resource that is dedicated to not only the individual who's struggling, but the the whole nuclear family piece, right? hundred yeah, percent. This is cool. And it's it's an ongoing thing. It's not just like you said, you know, send them to treatment and then they should be fixed when we <laughs> right. come out, right? It's like what happens during that transition of getting them to treatment while they're in treatment, when they come back from treatment. Because mm-hmm. this is what I know. Um, the family members are trying to make that person as comfortable as they can while they're in treatment. And a lot of times they're doing the wrong thing. For sure. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> you know, and and you know what? I'm not saying it, that you are good, bad, right or wrong. It just is. We don't know the skills. You yeah. don't know what you don't know. For sure. So if you don't know that you're doing something wrong, you're just going to do it. Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't make you a bad person because of that. You're really just trying to do the best thing possible, but it becomes almost the worst thing sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And like you said, right, if you don't know what you don't know and people like to be comfortable. I know for sure when I was in treatment, I would phone home, phone, whether it was my ex-wife or phone my mom, or here I am 40 years old, phoning my mom, mom, they're treating me poorly at treatment, right? They're making (laughs) me do this. And then my mom would phone and question it. And it'd be Mm -hmm. like, these are the professionals that are doing something to help your loved one, right? So let them roll with it because it is going to be uncomfortable and it is going to be something new. And it's, it's going to be different than what we all know, but it's going to be, beneficial in the long run. And that's, you know, I listen to enough other recovery podcasts and that's a lot of the same feedback we get right here on those podcasts is, you know, people phoning the treatment centers, you know, why are you doing this with my child? Why are you doing this? And yeah, it's just a new way to live. And that's, that's, you know, part of recovery is getting comfortable being uncomfortable because you got to challenge yourself to think differently, do differently. And it involves the family. And like you said, right, a lot of the family members don't know what what that's going to look like when they come back out of treatment or when they're in treatment. And, you know, we know a lot of treatment centers around that, and I'm, I'm fully on board with family weekends and, and family group sessions, right? But I find what you're doing so valuable because it's, it's more of just a, more than just two days, bring the family out for two days during this four weeks of treatment, right? You can't, this isn't something that can be tackled in two days, right? You need ongoing support, like you mm-hmm. said, and what you're going to be providing or are providing is amazing to family members. So valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really excited because 
the journey <laughs> the journey doesn't end because somebody went to treatment. No. <laughs> I wish it did. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. And when you talk about like not just the person in treatment that needs to feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. the family needs to feel uncomfortable. And and you know, just a good example of what that might seem like for you or for anybody listening is like how we try to make our loved ones more comfortable. When you think about, I am a brand new mom and my baby's crying, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You go and pick them up instantly. Right. Right. And you comfort that baby. You give that baby what that baby's needing so they're not in distress anymore. Sure. Right. And I'm not, and that's perfect. That's what you're supposed to do. But what happens when that little baby gets bigger and mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're causing their own discomfort? For sure. As parents, we just want to like comfort them. We want to take away that discomfort because the reality is, is that I'm uncomfortable with you being uncomfortable and I got to fix it. For sure. Yeah. And we've talked about that before on the show is, you know, as parents, it's kind of ingrained in you to do things for your loved one, to help them to. Absolutely. To ease their journey. Right. But when you're talking about addiction, a lot of times that works counterintuitively it's they're not doing anything different because you're fixing everything for them or wanting to make them feel loved right yeah so when they get into treatment you know parents want to know how is treatment how's the food Mm -hmm. you know and they ask like really simple questions which are really dangerous questions honestly because you're like how is the treatment how is how are the counselors there and you're going to hear oh my counselor's a jerk you know and they're just like and then the parent is like oh well now they're picking on my kid or they're you know maybe not connecting with them the way they're supposed to be connecting with them or you know how's the food yeah oh the food is crap you know and it's like oh you know so there's everything wrong with the treatment center so then you've got parents you know sometimes bringing food to the center or trying to like alleviate that discomfort for their child when it's like they're fine yeah Honestly, like, let's get real. They're fine. For sure. They got a roof over their head. They're much better than when they're out using. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mind. I'm like, it used to be really bad a week ago. They're pretty safe right now. Oh yeah. They're in a safe environment. Hopefully there's no substances around them. You Mm -hmm. know, treatment centers that happen sometimes, but hopefully there's not around them. They got food if they're hungry. You know, it may not be the best, you know, five-star dining food, but it definitely (laughs) is food. They're not starving. How, How often when they're in active substance use, do they not even eat? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Days sometimes, yeah. Right? Or it's a bag of Doritos. Or a bag of Doritos. Yeah, Don't even sure. get me on the 7-Eleven diet that mm. I always talk about. <laughs> totally, yeah. And that's that's a very common thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But a lot of these behaviors that our, our um, addicts are doing, family members are doing a lot of the same too. Like right. they're hooked up in the chaos of that addiction, right? You know, it's really interesting. I've been uh, really following this fella named um, Tommy Rosen, and I really love his theory on addiction. And he talks about addiction isn't a disease, it's a frequency. Wow. And I really like that because he's like, what frequency are you in? Mm -hmm. You know, because when we look at addiction, there's so many other things that come along with it, like we talked about earlier. But just looking at emotions, right? I'm more likely to use or relapse when I'm angry, when I'm hungry, when I'm frustrated, you know, when I physically don't feel good. And um, our families 
are so tapped into that. So it's like the frequency, the family is matching the frequency of that individual. So when he talks about this frequency, I'm like, I kind of like this. I'm, I'm getting into this, like, mm-hmm. because it's the frequency of anger that can take us back to, to, to using whatever sure. that is, right? Or it's the frequency of not taking care of ourselves, like eating. So I'm hungry. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. they can take us back into this. So I just, I just like, just to kind of like wrap my head around um, addiction in a different kind of view. I like that term of it's a frequency. Yeah, that's so cool to hear that, that reframe. Cause you know, as I sit and I listen to you explain the frequency concept, you know, it, my mind jumps to hungry, angry, lonely, tired, all these things, right? And, yeah. and your recovery plan. And, but if you look at it that way and, sh- and really relate the frequency to what frequency am I running in right now? Am I angry? Am I hungry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And what, how is that impacting the rest of the family circle as well? Right? Because yeah, they feed off that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're all affected by frequencies, right? That's how we hear. We hear through frequencies. We Mm -hmm. feel through frequencies, right? So frequencies we're really sensitive to. And so it's like, how am I managing? What frequency am I running in? And how do I change that frequency? Right? Yeah. What is it that I need to do? And this is not just for the person struggling with the addiction, but it's also for the family members of like, how do I change the frequency of what's going on in my family? Yeah. You know, because a lot of times when uh, people really reach out for help, there's so much strain on the relationships within the family dynamics, right? And the frequencies of that are really not good Mm -hmm. a lot of anger a lot of you know earlier when you were kind of introducing things and talking about addiction the family (sighs) takes on this role of don't talk don't trust don't feel Mm. absolutely right and and we need to really pay attention to that because it's not just the addict that takes that on it's the family members nobody's Mm -hmm. talking about what's really going on for sure you know like in my office, I have an elephant because they talk about the pink elephant in the room that nobody's talking about, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think it's so important. Nobody talks about it. Everybody just kind of like, oh, okay, let's just carry on. Yeah. You know, we learn to walk into a room and read that room before we know what to say or how to behave. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's the frequency <laughs> that we run on. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever gets to see behind the curtain. Yeah. Don't ever talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's... Mm-hmm. That hit home. That really hits home for me because that's you know the 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 way I was brought up, right? We don't talk about our problems. We don't. What happens behind these this door, these four walls? We don't share that with other people. We fix it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and when you start talking about you know the issue of addiction, it's very tough to fix by yourself. Mm. You know, and I use that term "fix" very loosely because I don't know the fix for anything, but. Yeah. There's a lot of work goes into it. There is a lot of work. I don't know how to fix it either. I wish I did. But, you know, the other piece of that is don't feel like you don't even, I think maybe I'm aging myself a little bit, but like back in the day when my parents were raising us as small kids, feelings didn't matter. No. Now, like I I remember, you know, stop crying or I'm going to give you a reason to cry. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Hold on while I have a trauma response here. (laughs) Okay, go. (laughs) I'm good. <laughs> so that just taught us just to kind of like suck it up. Yeah, for sure. You know, like dismiss what you're going through right now and carry on. And for some of us, it built resiliency. Yeah. For others, it didn't build that resiliency. Mm-hmm. Kind of 
left us hanging there going, well, I don't know what to do with this. For and sure. it took us down a different path. Yeah. And it leads to other ways to deal with it, right? Which are usually a, a negative. Yeah. 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 Unhealthy. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up that piece. You know, you mentioned resiliency and, and we talk about that all the time, right? You have two or three siblings that come from the same home. One takes one route, one takes a negative route, one falls into addiction, whatever that looks like. And how, you know, resilience isn't something you're born with. It's something you build on and something that you can add to. And, and it's based on, you know, those safe, stable environments and mm -hmm. supports in your life. But if that's the the message you're getting from a very young age that shut up, we don't talk about this. I don't care about your feelings, all these things, right? How do you build on that, right? In a positive, healthy manner. It's, it's you're off on the wrong foot from day one. 100%. And the one way I know that you do build on that or build that resiliency muscle, I'm going to mm -hmm. call it, yeah. is you have to find the right people. Mm. Yeah. And where the hell do we find these people? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> right? And, it gets, and you know, it gets harder as you carry on through your life. Right? Where you, you know, suddenly you're in your 20s, your 30s, you're in your 40s, I'm knocking on 50. And where do you find that group of people when you get older, right? It's like, it's a whole nother conversation, but it gets harder and harder, especially if you don't have the experience or the, or the mechanisms in place from 100%. a young age to start doing that. Well, you know, when we, when we look at addiction and when I, when I say that term, I'm talking about not just the person using, but the family, right. okay? Good. Who, people who have been impacted by addiction, there's, well, for myself, I had a lot of thoughts going up in my head, like, I'm not good enough. Mm. Who the hell do you think you are that you're about to embark on this? So if I was going to say, go to a church or go to a gym to meet people <clears throat> that I have similarities with, right? I would right away have these negative self-talks coming up. And so that that separates me from people. For sure. You know, and, and so I had to do the work around... Um, getting over that and you know it's really interesting my youngest kid kind of helped me with this and I, I i know it sounds dumb and i've shared this with many of my clients um in my journey but my youngest kid i used to watch her when she was in like kindergarten grade one like she was just like the social butterfly of them all and i just wondered how does she do this mm -hmm. because i'm still trying to figure out how to find my people <laughs> right sure. and she would just go on the playground and literally not know anybody, but she would just go stand beside somebody. And within a minute, that person that she stood beside would grab her hand and away they would go. They wouldn't even need to talk. They would just go jump on the swings or the monkey bars or something yeah. and just start playing. And that's just how it started. And they would have so much fun. And then she'd be like, oh, can we go and like do this again sometime? And so I just watched her and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try that concept. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's why you used to stand right beside me. <laughs> I feel bad I never grabbed your hand and we jumped on the swings together. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, well, you know, I, that is kind of where I started it. I'd go to the gym and I would just stand beside people. Like I'd literally butt into the conversation. <laughs> but, like, I'm like, let's see what happens. Yeah. And it actually turns out to be a super big strategy if I can get like a, out of my head, right. right? So it's like getting out of your head and just standing there. And then next thing you know, you're building these like relationships with people and people at the gym. I'm just going to tell everybody on here, the people at the gym just talk about being at the gym. Yeah. 
It's so true. <laughs> so just talk about how much you died in the workout, right? Yeah. Like, oh my God, that was so hard. And, or two minute rounds are just like insane. Somebody's going to agree with you. You're going to just spark up a conversation. Yeah. It's just going to be the way it is. And you're going to find your people through that talking, mm-hmm. but we don't find our people. That's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah. And I can so resonate with what you just said, because being stuck in my mind for so long, right. And all that self doubt, all that negative self talk Mm. and that, you know, who do you think you are type thing, right. You don't even belong here. All that negative stuff. I used to really let that take control of my life. And before you knew it, I wasn't doing anything like, no, no, I can't go do that. Yeah. And, uh, when you touch on, you know, the gym concept, that's where I started to come out of my shell as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I ended up being a, uh, group fitness trainer and it, Back in the day, I used to think group fitness, not a chance. That's not for me. I'm <laughs> lifting weights and that's it, right? But what a cool opportunity that was. Talk about being uncomfortable, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. I, I, it was so foreign to me to be that person in front of everybody trying to teach them something and, and do this workout. But what a door opener that was for me to start meeting people mm-hmm. and, and just having that conversation after class with complete strangers, right? And it usually started, like you said, man, that workout kicked my ass. And then we'd talk about that. And before long, you know, you're three, four weeks into it and you're sitting with that same group talking about other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's such a cool way to meet new people. Well, it is. And it branched out, you know, not only did it, because I'm trying to think, I was going to the gym way before I, I came to Good Life, but I had a group of ladies downtown that I would meet with, and there was probably consistently like eight of them, and they helped me kind of break through that shell. But then when that those gyms closed down, it was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Yeah. Right? It like totally derailed me for a little while. And I think I even, I call it relapsed in my workouts. Yeah. Um, and then that's when... Yeah. Anyway, we're not here to advertise for good life, (laughs) but that's where it all started. And then it's just blossomed. But going back to the communities, you know, that we serve, it really is about finding our people. And it doesn't matter if you're the person using or the family members. It's about finding your people, Mm -hmm. finding where do I feel accepted? Because the family members have just as much self-doubt going on as the person using. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and when you talk about the family members, you know, I always go back to the feedback we get at our collective journey or the people that are reaching out for information. Right. And that's the common thread between just about all the families that reach out is, is just that self doubt that we don't want anybody to know. We don't know where to go. We don't know the supports, you know, we're the only family going through this. I don't know anyone else. Well, I guarantee you do. You just don't know until you know, right. There's so many people impacted by this today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what we're taught. Don't talk. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So people don't talk about it. So, you know, um, more recently, you know, I, and I'm going to focus a little bit more on the family. Um, and me and you have had a a conversation about this. Um, more recently, um, I really feel that family members, um, are feeling so helpless that they do nothing. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, um, having your your 20 30 40 year old child living in your basement you know using mm-hmm. and you as a parent completely like oh well at least they're safe they're in the house and you know 
it really sucks getting phone calls from those parents letting you know that their loved one passed away because of the use. Yeah. Wow. And I just like, I get so, this is the word, I get so pissed. Yeah, I bet. Because I'm just like, we could have done so much more. And I say we, because we as a family, we can help. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think people just are like, okay, the old saying, they need to hit rock bottom before people make change. Yeah. That, that belief is so wrong. For sure. You know, when you talk about, I stayed and I struggled in addiction way too long. It's, and I'm not saying that your family, you know, did or didn't do anything. Um, Cause I'm sure they did, but did they do the right things? Yeah. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now with, you know, this new um, adventure that I'm on with Family Matters Interventions is doing interventions with families mm. because families don't know what to do. And when they're, when they're talking to their loved one who is high or using or hung over, when you're telling them what to do or, you know, you're going to get a big F you. That person Absolutely. is not listening. For sure. Right? And mm -hmm. so when we look at doing an intervention and working with family, we kind of bring everybody's heart back to life. Mm. Because we know that fighting with addiction, you're just you're basically beating your head against a wall. You are in a power struggle. That person has doesn't want to hear you and you're just going to get shut down. Yeah. So when we, when, I'm going to say when we fight with the heart, it's a whole different ball game. Wow. When we start talking about like, you know, memories that we had that brought up so much joy and so much um, life within the family and how smooth life was and how easy it was. That's when we're fighting a fair game. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I love that piece that you talked about, right? About rock bottom and, oh my gosh, this was something that, you know, I've struggled with for the last five or six years, right? Because so many people in my circles talk about you have to hit rock bottom to make change. And unfortunately in this day and age, people die before they hit rock bottom. hundred percent. Yeah. So for 100%. me, it's like, you know, when I talk about rock bottom, I always relate it to rock bottom is contingent on the action you take today. You don't have to keep digging to find yeah. that really dark, desolate, destitute rock bottom where you're clinging in an ER room, right? hundred percent. It's, it's about what are you going to do when, when you, these negative um, experiences and the existential consequences, all those things come piling on. Are you going to keep digging or are you going to make some action to make change? And what you're talking about from what I just understood is, you know, if we educate the family about what are the right things to do, what are the wrong things to do? What are more beneficial things to do? That helps that person make that decision today that I think this is my rock bottom. I don't have to mm -hmm. keep digging. Mm -hmm. Like there is this valuable piece to this now that a lot of family members don't know. A hundred percent. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, a lot of times, again, going back to when we, when family members finally connect or that person finally connects, their life is usually pretty shattered at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, that, you know, a lot of times I'm going to say isn't even rock bottom. Yeah. Rock bottom gets pretty deep for some people. Like you said, some of them don't even hit it. They just die. Yeah. Right. Um, 
But what happens is, is the family, when they're just like, they, their hands are thrown up and they're just like, I'm done. Yeah. Right. And I get it. And I'm not one to say that you need to let this person walk all over your values or disrespect you um, as a family member, because that is not what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I think the the healthiest, best relationships I have are well-defined boundaries mm-hmm. that I have in that relationship. There's that B word again we hear a lot in recovery. Yeah, yeah boundaries. Huge. Yeah. And so as family members, we need to put up those, I'm going to say firm boundaries and those spaces that I will tolerate this, but I won't tolerate this, mm-hmm. which is totally fine to do. Um, but we also remind them that they're part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah. They're part of this family. Totally. They're loved. Mm-hmm. They were admired before they got into the disease of addiction. See, I go with the disease thing, right? Because it's such an automatic for me because I've been doing it for so long. But it, this complex disease, (laughs) we want to say. I love the tone. The accent was great. (laughs) Um, Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, this this is where, you know, we get a lot of, pushback from other parts of the, you know, the, the continuum of care, right? Uh, so that we hear this all the time is that you can't just do the tough love and you can't turn your back on people and this and that. And, and that's not what we're talking about. No, no. We're talking about boundaries. Yeah. Right. And what am I willing to put up with? What's acceptable in my life? I love, you know, my oldest son struggles with addiction to this day. I love my son. I love everything about my son you know, except for what the, here we go again, the disease of addiction has turned, you know, his life into. He has addiction issues. He's not a bad person. Mm-hmm. I love my son and I'll do everything I can to help him when he's matching my effort. I don't, you know, I learned the hard way that going above and beyond what he wants to do isn't going to work for him. And we've traveled that rabbit hole for five years, Mm. right? So it's not about turning my back on him. It's about, no, dad loves you. And dad's going to be here to support the shit out of you when you're going to do the work to get healthy. Right. And that's my boundary is no, you can't move in with me anymore. No, I'm not giving you money. All these things that led to really negative outcomes in the last five or six years. And it's not about turning your back on people. Mm -mm. It's not about, you know, being a mean parent. It's about what are we going to do to help our loved one and also keep myself sane. Yeah, that's the piece oh right gosh. there, right? Because as family members, you know, that can just destroy us. Mm-hmm. Because what happens with addiction, and you know yourself, Ryan, is that you become somebody you're not. Yeah. And it's not even a, a, a thought process or a conscious effort to be a different person. It literally is the drugs or the at, bad uh bad actions of behavior, whether, you know, sex or gambling or whatever, we really become a different person. For sure. And that's the piece that as family members, we can honestly say, I don't love that piece. And there should be no guilt attached to that. I don't know anybody who can say they love watching their loved one turn into an alien. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, how do I... Because that's what happens is they become this different person. And it's like, how do I 
tap back into the person that they were Mm -hmm. at one point? How do I get in there without, because we know addiction was, addiction is all about defensiveness, right? You know, so I'm going to defend myself and my honor and whatever I think it is, because I'm so self-absorbed that I don't really care what I'm doing to the family members, right? For sure. And so that defensiveness comes in. So how can I get, how can I break down that defensiveness? Yeah. And that's a piece that a lot of people struggle with. It's hard. Oh my God. Is it ever right? It's hard because if you say the wrong thing, you're now in a power struggle with an addict. Yeah. Instead of like, for instance, your son. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Here's your helmet. Put it back on because you're going to be beating your head against the wall again. Again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're never going to get it perfect when we're talking to our people. There are no perfect words for it, but it's always coming at it with love. Mm-hmm. It's really, you know, um, uh, you know, somebody said the other day and it really hit home for me, even though I know this, but it's just like things hit you differently. Sometimes they said, um, and, and I, I'm going to talk about God and I know some people are like, ah, but God equals love Mm -hmm. and love is just so pure and so um, sincere that if I come at it with love, I know that there's a power greater than myself. That's going to help me on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I think one of the coolest things that you've brought up. I mean, among many things, but that piece there, right. Come at it from love, not judgment, not, you know, it, it definitely helps avoid the power struggle. Well, yeah, that's what you're trying to avoid, totally. right? Yeah. And people can't fight with love. <clears throat> no. Well, no. they can try. Yeah, right. And love with keeping in mind your boundaries. 100%, but yeah. that's loving yourself too. Sure. When I come at it with love, I love myself, which means I respect my boundaries and you don't cross those boundaries. Yeah, yeah for sure. Right? But I come mm-hmm. at I come at you that maybe this time you don't hear the love that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But the next time you might. Yeah. Or maybe the next fifth time. Absolutely. Right. And I love how you, you know, you just talked about, you know, you've heard this hundreds of times, right? But something jumped out at you. Yeah. And and that is the same, right? When we start to get the family circle on the same page and understand the language we're talking today, it might not come from dad. Dad said this a thousand times. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the same message coming from grandma or from mom, right? That suddenly the light bulb turns on. I know I've had that before, right? My, you know, somebody will phone me from my family circle with who deals with my son. They'll be like, Oh, I said this. And you know, he really perked up and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I've said that a hundred times to him. (laughs) Right. But it just took the right person to deliver the message a little differently. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's why interventions are actually so powerful. Mm -hmm. When we have a room Mm -hmm. of people anywhere from two to eight individuals coming at one person with pure love yeah there's no anger there's no hurt there's no resentment it is pure love in that space that person really has no room to go yeah because they're going to hear a message probably from every person but for sure there's going to be that one person that they're going to hear something right that's going to help them and the importance when i talk about these interventions is when we have family involved when somebody goes to treatment because we all know people go to treatment all the time and they leave treatment in the day the second they walk out those doors they're using again mm-hmm. 
When we have family members on board, that increases people's chances of long-term success by 90%. Wow. How many people go to treatment on their own? A matter of fact, they don't even want to phone their family members and let them know they're in treatment. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. What an astronomical number that is. 90%. I know. That's statistics too. Like that's just not me throwing out numbers. That is absolutely. When we've got the family on board and we've got the family working in the right way, Mm -hmm. that's 90% increase of long-term sobriety absolutely and it's so believable you know coming from the circles we travel in nowadays right and seeing all of the um outcomes of people going to treatment and all these things that we've worked people we've worked with right i can i can list off half a dozen people that are in long-term recovery now and that is a big piece to why they're successful today in their recovery is they had that you know, family circle that was on board and and doing work alongside them, doing their own work. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't a get out of work card for anybody, including the family. The family needs to do their own work too. And that's why there is Al-Anon family groups. There is the the family group that you do every Thursday. Mm -hmm. There is other support groups um, that family members, church um, groups that people can connect with, right? Again, it's about connection because addiction separates. For sure. It disconnects. And that's one thing, you know, I heard early on, we preach that here, right? The opposite of addiction, Gabor Monte says it all the time, is connection, right? And if you can find your people and you can find your purpose, man, it gets a lot easier, right? It's not fixed. No. But you have a purpose and you have people there to support you that are like-minded and, you know, they have all these tools in place as well. And man, 90%. 90%. But everybody's speaking the same language too. That's huge. That's like, that actually is probably the most important. <laughs> yeah. Is that when I speak, I can speak the same language as you and you can understand. For sure. I know you and I talked about this once before and, and maybe you want to share the analogy, right? It's about learning the dance. Oh, the dance. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a family who's so used to doing the two-step, you know, and everybody knows the two-step, you know, they got that two-step down packed. If somebody even goes offbeat a little bit, you can get back into the Mm two-step. But when somebody goes to treatment, that just changed the dance to the East Coast shuffle. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And so one person's doing the East Coast shuffle and everybody else is doing the two-step. It's not going to work. Yeah. Everybody needs to get on page and figure out how to do the East Coast shuffle. hundred percent. And that is such a, that's what I love about analogies, right? It's so easy for me to wrap my brain around that. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally agree. And, and I know for me, the first time I went to treatment, it was check the box. I've, mm-hmm. I've done that. I should be good now. And everybody in my circle, whether it was my employer, my family, they all thought the same way, right? Because we had no experience around addiction and especially recovery. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do anything different. I, uh, I learned a few tools. Um, I stayed off my drugs of choice, but I was still the same person. I went back to the same job, all these things, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing really changed. The only thing that changed was, you know, my coping mechanism that I dealt with my shitty life and my shitty problems and all these things that I thought poor me all the time was now removed. And I'm still supposed to expect to navigate life in a successful manner without my only coping mechanism that I used. Right. So when I went to treatment the second time, man, that's when things changed. That's when the East coast shuffle started because I had to learn to live a different way. And my family started to learn a different way too. And how to deal with, how to deal with me and how to, 
how to navigate recovery, not just, well, this is Ryan's issue. He's going to fix it on his own and he's going to do well, right? It's, it, it involves everybody. A hundred percent. And you probably had more success when the family started doing the same dance. Yeah, for sure. And even if you had a relapse, and this is for anybody out there, even if you had a relapse after the family, you know, was on the same page as you and everybody was working their own program, that doesn't mean that it was a failure. Mm -hmm. It honestly just means that, you know what, as a family, we got to figure this out. Yeah. We did something wrong. Something happened. Let's, let's explore that. Let's figure this out so that again, we can come back to supporting those healthy behaviors that we want to support. Yeah. And you know what, sometimes, and I'm not going to say blame anybody in it because it's usually many different variables that go on within that system, but Sometimes it could have just been what a family member, maybe a family member fell back into their old behaviors, which yeah. the ripple effect can just create that person to go back out using. The unfortunate part is when that person is out using, there's no guarantee they're going to come back, right? Yeah. Where a family member, if their behaviors, if they fall back into unhealthy behaviors, a lot of times they can recognize it because they still have their sanity about themselves. Their brain is not being impaired. For sure. Right. Yeah. So they can go, okay, I screwed up. I've, you know, got to get back on. I got to do what I got to do. And they can get back um, a lot quicker than somebody who falls back into substance use. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, hundred percent substance use, you know, throws a whole different wrench into it. You have a setback in your recovery journey, you know, using crack cocaine, that's mm -hmm. going to impact a lot longer and have a lot more negative consequences than somebody who starts, you know, acting out in a different behavior in their family circle. Yeah. They start yelling because yeah. yeah. they're frustrated. Totally. Right. Yeah. Then they can own it and go, okay, I shouldn't be yelling. Cause that's like a relapse for a family member mm -hmm. is, is, is starting to yell or fighting more. Right. Yeah. So that member needs to kind of figure out, okay, I'm yelling, I'm irritated. What do I need to do? What can I do to get back on track? Yeah. Right. Well, this is all that, you know, we, we talk all the time about this and listeners probably think, oh, here he goes with the talk about the work again. But, you know, this this is just another dynamic to that, right? It, it's it's not a quick fix. This is now the work involves the family as well. And, and if we all want to move together in a different, you know, quality of life, better our quality of life, we always say, this involves the family and the work involves the family. It might look differently than the individual themselves, but everybody's got a piece in this if, if we want to 100%. move forward. But that is like, that's a healthy family, right? A healthy sure. family is when one person in the family isn't able, right, to to maybe be as functional. The other family members kind of pick up what they can't do. So, uh, you know, an example of that is if somebody in your family got, say, cancer, and they, you know, were in treatments and they were tired. The other family members would come around and help cook meals, would help clean the house, sure. would help get them to their appointments. It shouldn't be any different mm -hmm. if somebody's in substance use disorder, right? Doesn't mean I do your work. It's like, okay, you're going to treatment. So, you know what? I'll take care of your dog for the yeah. time that you're in treatment, mm -hmm. right? That's that's what we do as a family. That's a healthy family members is that we help each other out when when the going gets tough for sure mm -hmm. yeah 
But we forget that because, again, and I think our world, honestly, <clears throat> has come a long ways when we talk about the stigma of addiction. I think people are becoming much more understanding. I think people are struggling just with some of the dynamics to how sick people are getting nowadays because yeah. people are getting sicker. For sure. There's, there's, yeah. there's much harsher drugs out there and there's... Yeah, that's for a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be a series. <laughs> <laughs> that totally could be a series. But it's 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 just bringing it back to the basics and let's get the family functioning as a unit again. Yeah. Because we don't function. No, for sure not. We don't function when that one person is still in addiction. Yeah, yeah. But, and it's chaos for everyone involved, right? Ugh, so chaotic. Mm. Yeah, how can you be on the same page? You know, the siblings are, uh, lots of times I hear the siblings aren't talking to the person using because they're so, you know, pissed or angry or resentful. And, you know, mom or dad are just trying to do everything. And then they're trying to like mend this family back together. Again. It's so chaotic. It's just like, stop. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. And, and to make people aware that it's okay to, stop yeah right because i know as a parent i'm like i no, i can't do this i'm gonna be a shitty parent i gotta keep doing this 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 and this right to help i gotta try everything to help them and man what a dark rabbit hole that that led to right i mean there's a lot of things that i'm proud of that i did for my son and i continue to do today but there's lots that i'm not proud of but i didn't know any better 100 percent. yeah how do you know? We don't know. Like I said, professionals don't even don't sure. even have this down packed. How is how is the average person supposed to know mm-hmm. um, all the tips and tricks and tools? We just do what we think is best at the time. For sure. But we don't know what we don't know. <clears throat> yeah. Why don't you share a little bit more about uh, your new adventure that you? Ah. Well, this is um, new here in Medicine Hat, obviously, Family uh, Matters Interventions. Mm -hmm. Um, So my goal is to help family members come together as a unit, um, learn about addiction, kind of maybe see some of their own behaviors that they can change, um, and then hopefully get their loved one into treatment. Amazing. Yeah. And then during that time, while their loved one is in treatment, um, I'm going to work with the families just to kind of help them navigate that treatment um, system. And of course, I'm going to support the treatment centers in, you know, what the family knows and how to support the family. Because again, I want everybody to work as a unit, right? So when that person goes into those treatment centers, we all want to continually work as a unit. For sure. And then when that person um, leaves treatment and kind of transitions back into the family unit, um, let's work together. Let's let's figure this out. Let's, you know, find some common grounds and let's, um, you know, speak the same language and let's really talk about what we need to talk about. Amazing. Yeah. It sounds to me like you're going to be teaching some East Coast Shuffle. <laughs> Yes, I might be teaching the East Coast Shuffle. My husband's going to laugh at that one. That's good. That's good. But what a valuable piece that is, right? All the things we just discussed over this last hour are things that you're going to help the family address, right? And work on, not just the individual. The individual is going to, you know, from what I heard you say, Nicole, is, you know, you can help the individual find a facility that's right for them. Because as we both know, not every facility is going to be a fit for every individual. Oh, no, no. And then- 
the key piece that I really am excited about, you know, when you share about this family matters intervention that you're starting is you're going to work with the family during and most importantly after, right? It's not just here's your check mark and here's your certificate and you marbled out and all these things and you're on your way now. Well, we know that doesn't work, (laughs) right? (laughs) For some people it might, but it sure didn't work that way for me. Well, from what I've seen in um, the world, (laughs) according to addictions, a lot of times, not many people just check the box Mm -hmm. and never use again. No, no, for sure not. Right. In the circles I travel in, they're the unicorn, right? That's, there's the odd one you hear about all the time, but it's very rare to meet one. It's very rare (laughs) to meet one. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I'm really excited too, because I want families to know that they have options. Yeah. And that there are different ways to manage this. And I also really want families to have their best life as well. Mm -hmm. Because as um, the lady who did my training for interventions, Deborah J, she is amazing. Her and her husband, Jeff J and Deborah J, they write lots of books. So if you ever see those authors, pick up the books. They're amazing. But, um, you know, she says every time someone hits rock bottom, so whatever that is, so does the family. Yeah. And I was like, dang, Mm -hmm. they do. Isn't that the truth? Every time your loved one gets hospitalized or thrown in jail, you feel it too yeah. as a family member. Wow. So it's like, okay, let's, let's support the family. I also, um, just to kind of, you know, put a little uh, plant a seed right now is I also am going to be looking at bringing it in, in the new year. It's called Structured Family Recovery. And so it's a whole program on really digging in and working with families. Like my intervention piece will be there, but Mm -hmm. it's like I'm minimal on the amount of work that I can do. And I'm going to help, you know, connect to community resources that can um, advance that. But when I bring out this uh, structured family recovery, that's a, a six week program where we can really dig in and do some major good work once that person is out of treatment. Yeah, that's that's a big piece that's missing, I think. And, you know, I can't speak for all communities, but especially this one. Well, that's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm filling the gap. This is a gap. 100% it is, yeah. You know, and I I love the Al-Anon family. Um, and, you know, they bring a lot to the community and help a lot of people. There's a lot of people that won't go to that. A lot of family members are just like, maybe they went and they didn't care for it or didn't like it. Or maybe they went and went, oh, well, now this is a me problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here to talk about my son. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, But, you know, this just brings something else. Yeah. And I don't think we can have enough of something good. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. I think you're going to be very busy. Well, that would be lovely. Yeah. I, I'm I'm up for the challenge, definitely, because family members are kind of my passion. Mm-hmm. I've always, it's always been um, a real like heartwarming piece to work with families. And I've worked with families who have lost their loved ones while I was working with them because of the di- the disease, the addiction. Um that was hard. Yeah. 
And then I've worked with families who um, have had that person in and out of treatment. And I've worked with families who that person went to treatment and they're doing well now. And the family has come together. So it's like, we got all kinds and and we just need to come together. Again, it's like this unity. Let's find unity. Let's find our people. Let's come together. Let's stop being separated and disconnected. And because- that doesn't work. Yeah. We're social beings. Oh we gosh, need each sure other, right? hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. I love the whole community piece you talk about. And I know at OCJ, that's one thing we try to do is, you know, let's build a recovery community because <sighs> if everybody's, you know, at least recovery informed, what does this look like? What does addiction look like? What does recovery look like? Your path to it is going to be different than mine. But mm-hmm. if you're surrounded by a community that's aware of it all, um, it gets a lot easier. 100%. But I want to add to that because yeah, I think this is do. really important that addiction is more than just the homeless population that oh we see. Oh my goodness, absolutely. It's way it's way bigger than that, that, right? For a lot of people, that's the face of addiction. That's the face, yeah. And that's, that's the piece that we're just like, why is this happening? This needs to stop. This isn't working, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, well, there's a there's a whole other spectrum of individuals that are suffering absolutely with um, substance use. Not to minimize the homeless by any means, they're no. they're suffering as well, and that definitely needs to be addressed. But that can be a whole other topic. Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, and we talk about that lots too, right? And and that misconception that everybody who's homeless struggles with addiction. That's not true. And everybody out on the street, you know, has a story as well, but that, you know, that's not the population we focus on at OCJ. And over the last three, three plus years, we've seen that 98% at least, if not close to a hundred percent of our intakes, our people that are reaching out aren't from that population. It's the population that I was part of, right? that I'm mm-hmm. not going to let you see behind the curtain. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I Maybe I don't, I don't think it's addiction. I have a full-time job. I have all these things yeah. going for me, right? But what's, what's holding me back? And, and by sharing these stories, by coming on the podcast and sharing you know, what you're bringing to this community, these are all pieces that are filling gaps. These are all pieces that are starting to normalize this, especially in the family circle, right? It's okay mm. to talk about this, mm-hmm. right? The longer we don't talk about it, the longer we stay out there struggling. And the sicker we get. Oh my gosh. And the whole family. The whole family. I'm not talking just the person using. Like, yeah. The family gets sick. I was very sick at one point in my life. Mm-hmm. Very, very sick. I was insane. Like if you will. <laughs> right. And that's without substance. <laughs> I, that was, that, that, that's the other thing too, is like, <clears throat> when you look at how sick I was, the thing is I wasn't putting stuff in my body. Yeah. So I didn't even have a clue. For sure. How sick I was. Yeah. And families don't realize that if I'm not putting a substance in my body, that I can be just as sick as the person that is actually putting something in my body. Yeah. I think that's a huge eye opener for a lot of people. I'm sure there's people out there listening to this episode thinking, holy smokes, that's me. Well, I hope. And I yeah. hope that person reaches out and, and finds their people wherever that is. So like go to every group talk to people, go like for myself, if you're interested, you know, just give me a call. I, I always uh, do consults with my families before we do anything. We got to see if this is even what you need. For sure. Is there a different resource in town that maybe would work better for you? Like mm-hmm. I'm open mm-hmm. to talking and sharing about what it is that I know. Yeah. And that's how we figure it out okay. as family members. That's what I love about 
you know, what you just said. I love about the approach you take to it, right? Because there's been other groups, there's been other things that have popped up and we're going to be the one-stop shop and we're going to do everything for you. You oh, don't gosh. need to outsource it, right? And, and that just doesn't work either, <laughs> right? So I love that collaboration piece. If I'm not the right fit, let's help you find the right fit for you. And maybe I am the right fit, just not at this time. Maybe 100%. six months from now, I'll be the fit for you, but let's get you to somebody or some agency or some resource that's going to do the work with you to get you to that point where you need or you're a fit for this program, or you're a fit for a psychologist, or you're a fit for these other pieces, right? It might not be today. Mm-hmm. I know it was Dr. David Best talked about everybody in the surveys that he has done over in the UK and the US. Uh, people in long-term recovery have used at least six different resources to get to where they are today, right? And for me, I when I saw that, it just jumped right out at me, right? Because early on in recovery, those six resources look a lot different than they are today. Mm-hmm. But there's usually six involved at every stage of my recovery. And as I move forward, you know, it might not be that acute addiction piece I'm, I'm working on today. I, I don't have an addictions counselor anymore, but it sure was valuable in those first 18 months. Oh my God. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. But then we morph and grow, right? We're sure. never the same as we were yesterday. Yeah. You know, even even if you don't use, we're just never the same. Sure. We are always growing and morphing. Well, let's hope we are morphing in good, healthy ways, right? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's, but so just to kind of like add a little piece, when I did my training, I did my training down in the States and their um, recovery community was amazing down there. Like it just was, they had their, um, I'm going to say sober living homes in like really fancy, expensive areas in town because they, their belief is, is that just because you have an addiction doesn't mean you need to go to the slums of, sure. of these cities. We want you, <clears throat> we need you, you're involved, we care. And it was just really cool to see people who have addictions were always hired in, in jobs. It's because lots of times people struggle with getting and maintaining a job because they have a history or they don't want to disclose that they've got struggles with addiction as well. And I, that's, that's a piece that I want to help change in the Mm -hmm. community because if I am interviewing for a job and I can be open and honest and share that, yeah, I have struggled with substance use in the past, that should open the door for more support that my employer now is going to support a healthy lifestyle for me. Of course, he's going to have boundaries set up just like everybody does that has good healthy relationships but it's going to look supportive and inviting and welcoming and that's what my hope is because yeah. I'm again I bring it back to like uniting people versus um, disconnecting people because that is a big disconnect when we don't invite them in everybody into our world yeah oh my gosh what a breath of fresh air that statement is because the world right now, I, you know, we've seen it laid out for the last X amount of years that it seems like society is so polarized right now and we're all oh. so disconnected with things and we're also on both extreme ends of the spectrum, right? We're, on, we're either here or we're here. And I love how you're, you know, focusing on bringing community back together and let's work on this together, right? We don't always have to agree, but let's work on this together and let's. 100%. We're never all going to agree 100%. Totally. And that's okay. But I respect what you're saying, even Mm -hmm. if I don't agree with it. Yeah. Wow. Whoops. Pull your headset off. (laughs) Yeah, almost (laughs) did. That was too exciting. (laughs) Why don't you uh, share with the listeners and myself, where can we find Family Matters Intervention. 
Oh, well, um, let me see. I'm just getting all this stuff set up now. So I have a website, which is familymattersinterventions.com. Uh, okay. I'm on Instagram, which is at familymattersinterventions. Um, yeah, I'm just on Kingsway. I'm in the middle of the city, so it's nice and easy to get to. Um, <laughs> my my phone number, everything is there. You can yeah. book appointments right online. Cool. Um, what else? Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Family Matters Interventions. Nice. Yeah, just Family Matters Interventions. I keep it really simple. <laughs> I yeah. like simplicity. That's perfect because <laughs> as we all know, and anybody out there who's trying to navigate, you know, the resources in the system, it's it's anything but simple a lot of times. It's very oh hard my to gosh. find what you need, right? So, And I do apologize. I'm not good at Facebook or Instagram because social media is just not my thing. I really am barely on social media. So this is my growing yeah. <laughs> curve right now is like, how do I even post or how do I put stuff on there? So mm-hmm. it is slowly coming together. But honestly... I love people. So like my connection is more person to person than it is on social media. It always has, uh, but I will be posting stuff on there and uh, you can frequently check it out and, uh, you know, share something, ask questions. I'm totally open to being um, interactive with individuals. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, I know for our listeners out there, all those links that Nicole just shared, I will have those in the footnotes for this episode. Also, we'll reshare some of the stuff. And if you can't remember any of that, contact us and we'll put you in touch with Nicole because I know how valuable that piece is. And I, I highly respect Nicole's work in the community. Um, I know this is going to be such a huge bid. I can't even talk anymore. It's must be getting close to wrapping up. Uh, bridge builder for families, right? This this gap space that has been around for so long and Nicole's going to try to fill a lot of it. So um, yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, uh, taking time out of your busy schedule because I know you have a whole different life that we didn't talk about today. So that's amazing what you're doing in community. And, you know, like I said earlier, I highly respect the work you do. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today is because I know what you do for people in community and how passionate you are about working with people and helping them better their quality of life, whatever that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, here's your cookie cutter way and we're going to do it this way. And that's the only way you are one of the believers like myself that, you know, everybody is going to find recovery a different way. Let's just help them find it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There is no one way to do this. That's yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Buddy. Thank you. Oh my thank gosh, you for having great. me. That was great. Um, thank you, Nicole. And yeah, like I said, check out uh, Nicole's social media, check out her website. Anybody who wants to get a hold of her, use one of those avenues or contact us and we'll put you in touch with Nicole. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up our episode today. Once again, thanks for coming on. And uh, I know we'll cross paths many, many more times. Um, Check us out at FDTL podcast on Instagram and uh, don't forget our collective journey.ca for any other resources you're looking for or whether it's resilience coaching, recovery coaching, whatever it is, just if if you just want to have a chat with one of us, you think we're kind of cool, hit us up. And with that, I think we will uh, pull the plug on this episode. So thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you next week. From darkness to life is an our collective journey podcast. These are the real stories of people who've triumphed over the many challenges of life's journey. If you or a loved one needs support, please reach out to ourcollectivejourney.ca.
Our commitment is to empower you to build resilience as you journey towards recovery. Consider showing your support by donating online at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pate. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive.